IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. the singing Hoosiers of Indiana University and the song The 500 from 60 years ago. And that's the theme of this week's Pit Pass Indy as we bring you a special edition previewing the 105th Indianapolis 500. It's the week race fans all over the world have been waiting for as Sunday, May 30 is race day for the 105th Indianapolis 500. After a week of practice and two full days of qualifications that included many surprises, the field of 33 is set for the Indy 500. It's the fastest field in Indy 500 history with a field average of 230.294 miles per hour. The great Scott Dixon starts on the pole after leading both Saturday's first round of qualifications as the first driver on the track to make a four-lap attempt and the last driver in Sunday's Fast 9 to run for the pole with a four-lap average of 231.685 miles per hour. It was Dixon's fourth Indy 500 pole, and he joins an impressive group of drivers that include Rex Mays, A.J. Foyt, and Elio Castroneves as four-time Indy 500 pole winners. The great Rick Mears holds the Indy 500 pole record with six. The slowest driver in the field is Dalton Kellett of Canada, who ran a four-lap average of 228.323 miles per hour, but he starts 30th. He was locked in during Saturday's round of qualifications. The last chance shootout featured 2018 Indianapolis 500 winner Will Power of Team Penske, who struggled in Saturday's qualifications and had to advance through the last chance shootout. Five drivers battled it out for the final three positions on Sunday, May 23, with Sage Karam, Power, and Simona Di Silvestro all making the last row of the 11-row, three-abreast starting lineup. Popular veteran Charlie Kimball and newcomer R.C. Enerson were the two drivers that missed making the starting field. 
I caught up with Scott Dixon after Sunday's qualifications to talk to the six-time NTT IndyCar Series champion and 2008 Indianapolis 500 winner as he attempts to win the Indy 500 for the second time in his career. We're pleased to be joined by the pole-winning driver for the 105th Indianapolis 500. It's Scott Dixon who scored the fourth Indy 500 pole of his career. You joined the great Rex Mays, A.J. Foyt, Elio Castroneves before Indy 500 poles, just too short of Rick Mears' record of six. Pretty dramatic run, last car out, you were able to win the pole by about six feet over a 10-mile run. How did you do it? Yeah, it was uh, definitely an interesting weekend. You know, I think the whole week's been uh, credit to the team. You know, the cars, all four of them have had tremendous speed and to have, you know, all four on the fast line, um, you know, that's that's the dream for any any uh, team uh, and team owner especially. So, you know, kudos to Chip and all his people that were able to, to pull that off. But, yeah, it was, it was interesting. We All cars were kind of staggered a little bit different on, uh, you know, downforce levels and how hard they were going to go. And, you know, uh, maybe the earlier ones could have trimmed a little bit. Um, yeah, I think balance was decent. We were probably too neutral to a little bit too loose. And I think that's where we lost some speed on the last couple of laps was just the rear of the car was sliding. So um, as always, you know, you, you definitely think you can make things better. Uh, and that run could have been a little bit better, I think. You knocked Colton Hurdle off the pole. But you look at the front row and here you are, 40-year-old Scott Dixon flanked by a 21-year-old Colton Hurta. And at the end of uh, row one is a 20-year-old Renus VK. You almost kind of feel like a troop leader with those two guys starting next to you because you're the savvy veteran. They're the two young tigers. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the start of the race, right? You know, I think it uh, doesn't really matter who leads the first lap. It's who leads the, you know, the last lap. And, you know, we haven't done a good job of that in the past, you know, finishing here second, maybe four or five times. Definitely, definitely hurts. Last year was, you know, rough, especially when a lot of them have been under caution. Uh, and, you know, they've kind of let the, the clock run out. So, um you know, it's great to see, uh, you know, the young uh, talent coming into IndyCar. It's it's very important for the future. And, and obviously, you know, big names like Herder and Ray Hall and Marco Andretti, you know, that those are the the, the names that, uh, you know, are synonymous with, with IndyCar racing. So it's uh, it's been great. And obviously, you know, VK did a hell of a job. And, and uh, you know, Herder's always very strong, as we've seen from the start of the season. You like going out last as the last driver in qualifications. It's almost like you enjoy having that pressure on you. What is it about that that Scott Dixon enjoys the most? Uh, I think it's enjoyable when you pull it off, you know. Uh, when you don't, then it's, then it's uh, kind of miserable. But, you know, I think, honestly, I didn't feel that too much pressure uh, until I saw the ECR cars go and throw up those big times. And then I saw Herder's uh, initial lap and I knew that his consistency was going to be very good. So, um, you know, it is what it is. And you try to put your head down and, and just make sure that you go through your cycles of what you need to do. You know, it's, it's definitely very difficult for the 10 miles now with the full laps and the amount of different changes you have to make on the car, even each lap with, you know, the gear changes and the weight jackers and the roll bars and fuel mixtures. And, you know, it just, it's continuous. So you don't want to mess any one of those up because it will really kill the speed over the four laps. And then our final question with 2008 Indianapolis 500 winner, Scott Dixon, going for his second Indy 500 win. The strategic advantage of starting on the pole line know you can win anywhere from the field of 33 but yet starting up front does keep you out of a little bit of the early race drama absolutely you know honestly i think unless you're starting on the first three or four rows you know it's it's an extremely tough race to win now you know track position is massive um like we see any of the ovals now texas is kind of like that too so yeah um you know the team put in a lot of work they started you know 
day one right after the Indianapolis 500 last year, working on qualifying, uh, you know, situations for this come for this for this 500. So they did a hell of a job, as I said. Four cars in the fast nine is is big, and and I uh, hope Chip is Chip is super proud of his team. Um, but yeah, we'll start there. Let's hope uh, let's hope we end there as well. You did a hell of a job too. Go out and celebrate your fourth Indy 500 pole, and good luck in next Sunday's 105th Indianapolis 500. Scott Dixon, thank you for joining us. Perfect. Thanks, mate. Cheers. I also spoke with Dixon's engineer, Michael Cannon. He devised the fast setup on Dixon's number nine PNC Bank Honda at Chip Ganassi Racing. Now we're joined by the man behind the pole winning machine at the Indy 500. It's Chip Ganassi Racing engineer, Michael Cannon, who devises the setup for Scott Dixon. And Michael, Scott went out, showed his calmness, his coolness, and his bravery today to win his fourth career Indy 500 pole. It's amazing, over a 10 mile run, he did it by six feet over Colton Herta. How do you assess how well he was able to do today? Well, that was the target. Yeah, it's really shocking that it comes down to only a couple hundreds like that, but uh, uh, we just missed out last year by the same margin, so uh, I know how it feels. Uh, I do have to give a lot of credit also to his teammate, Tony Canon. Tony ran just before us, reported what the car was like, what the track was like, and it gave us the confidence to, to make that next little step, and that was, that's, that's what we needed. And you know, that's, that's the value of having four fast race cars. Uh, we just kept leapfrogging the cars. So, you know, very much a team effort. You're in your second year working with Scott Dixon as the engineer at Chip Ganassi Racing. Last year was a magical season. Started off with three straight victories. He went on and won his sixth career NTT IndyCar Series championship. It doesn't seem like he has missed a beat entering 2021. How pleased are you to see that the continuation of what you two developed last year? Oh, obviously I'm delighted. Uh, you know, it, that's the trick, right? Is you spend a little time feeling each other out, learning each other's in, you know, idiosyncrasies. I think we've settled into a pretty good relationship and uh, you know, hopefully we'll continue to lead the championship and, and get results. We're back to a normal Indy 500 during the month of May. May not have 100% capacity at the race, but it's gonna be 40%. Still gonna be a big crowd of 140,000 fans. How much like a Indy 500 has this seemed like you this year? I mean, obviously you'd like to have a full house, but it's terrific we're even having fans. Uh, you know, there's nothing like race day, walking out in a full house. You can be, it can be a 90 degree day out there. You're standing on the grid and you can feel the heat from all the people over the, you know, the sun coming down on the track, uh, the heat coming off of the car. So you can actually sense the people. Yeah. And it really does make this event magical. So it's nice to have even 140, 150,000 people back. Of all the drivers that you have worked with, what is the best way to describe Scott Dixon. He's cool, but he's brave. He just seems to be the most complete package of race driver that we may have ever seen in IndyCar racing. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I've run uh, a variety of rookies over the year and I always hold Scott up as the example of the perfection that you need to achieve in order to be competitive in this series. Uh, you know, the thing that uh, everybody likes to describe him as the Iceman and he's, you know, yeah, he's very methodical in the race car. Outside of the race car, He's funny, engaging, enjoyable to be around. So he may be an ice man inside the car, but you know, he's, he's a wonderful person outside the car. This year at Indianapolis, the team has brought back Tony Kanaan, who runs the oval races in the number 48 American Legion Honda. What has his presence been like on this team? Because I know in a lot of ways, 
it was a return home for him. Oh, yeah, a return home for him, a return home for his engineer, Eric Cowden, whom I've known since my Indie Lights days back in the 90s. Um, you know, it's a good blend. You know, you, you've got a really quick kid in Alex Palou, another fast youngster uh, with Marcus Erickson. And then you've got two seasoned professionals. Uh, as I say, I've known Eric uh, from my Lights days. This is my 39th year in motor racing. So, you know, you've got a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge on on two of the uh, the experienced guys' cars. You've got a very experienced engineering group with these two young guys. So, I mean, you can see what the value has been. It's the fastest field in Indy 500 history. It's yes. over 230 mile an hour field average. And it's probably also the tightest field in history. When you look at positions one to 33 and just see how tight that is, what do you expect to see uh, when we get into race trim and in next Sunday's race? Oh, I think, <laughs> especially given the weather, we're looking at a little bit cooler air, which automatically just improves everybody's situation. Your car, if it's a little bit off, cool air takes care of your car for you. So I think it's going to be, you know, bring whips, chains, and knives, because you're going to need it. <laughs> it is going to be a back and forth affair. And yeah, we've had fast cars all month, but it's going to come down to turn four. Who gets a good shot out of turn four in the last lap, I guarantee you. And is that why this year, as much as any year, the, there is a strategic advantage to starting from the pole? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Getting mired back in traffic is, uh, is a miserable thing in these cars. It gets very turbulent back there, but as I say, with the big fat air we're expecting on race day, I think it's going to make a lot of people's lives uh, much easier. And as a rival team, are you surprised to see the struggles that Penske Racing experienced in qualifying at least their fastest Qualifiers, a rookie, Scott McLaughlin from New Zealand, and he's starting way back in 17th. Will Power had to get into the uh, last chance shootout in order to make the 11th row. Yeah, but that tells you a lot about the quality uh, of the competition in this series. You know, you look at somebody and you say, okay, the 32, 32nd starting position, you know, having a miserable weekend. We're talking a tenth and a half <laughs> of, a, of a, a second around two and a half mile track. That's a level of competition. So you don't have to be very far off to be way off. You look at everybody and you try to figure out who makes the move at the right time with the arrow screen and the way the cars are shaped and with the drafting effect, what is the ideal place to be on the last couple of laps? You know, I suspect it'll be second place. I really do, second or third place. Um, you know, you're watching the practice sessions as they go on throughout the week, and you've seen everybody's just getting closer and closer and closer and bolder and bolder. You're seeing more moves per lap. Uh, I, I think it could come down to a, a real drafting battle at the end. And when would be the right time to make the move? Man, I, you know, as long as the straights are at this place, I think you got a pretty good shot. You got the guy lined up in turn three, you get a good shot through turn four, and you'll be able to pull it off. And do that on the last lap so that he doesn't have time to do it yeah, back the, on the next the lap. The start finish line, I, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but it's not right down the center of the front straight. It's a long way towards turn one, so you got a pretty good drag strip there. So, what do you do between now and race day? Uh, massaging this car, getting it race ready? Uh, most of the massaging's already been done. Honestly, I'll be working on the Detroit setups. Well, in the NTT IndyCar Series, it never really stops till the end of the season. Michael Cannon, the engineer for Scott Dixon of the number nine PNC Bank car. Congratulations on the Indy 500 pole and good luck in next Sunday's 105th Indianapolis 500. Thank you so much, Bruce. We qualified second, finished second last year. Uh, we've already made one step towards bettering <laughs> ourselves. We'll see if we can pull it off. Okay, good, good deal, thank you. 
We open the show with The 500 from 1961. That's the year that our featured guest, A.J. Foyt, won the first of his four Indianapolis 500s. Foyt is a living legend of racing history, the only driver to win the Indy 500, Daytona 500, and the 24 Hours of Le Mans in his career. He is also IndyCar's all-time leader in victories with 67 and championships with seven. I had the honor of talking to Foyt in the team's gasoline alley garage at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway last week. Three of his four drivers made the starting lineup for Sunday's 105th Indy 500, including J.R. Hildebrand, who is helping Foyt celebrate the 60th anniversary of his first Indianapolis 500 victory with a paint scheme reminiscent of Foyt's 1961 winning car. Sebastian Bourdais and Dalton Collette are also in the lineup for A.J. Foyt Racing, but Charlie Kimball was the fastest driver who did not make the 33-car starting lineup. Kimball had made 10 straight Indianapolis 500 starts before missing the field this past Sunday. Foyt is one of the all-time greats in sports history, and here is my interview with the living legend. Our guest today is a very special guest, the grand champion of the Indianapolis 500, the one and only A.J. Foyt, the first four-time winner of the Indy 500, AJ, it's your 60th anniversary since your first Indy 500 win in 1961. I know you're getting ready to celebrate it with some cool things. You've got a cool paint scheme on one of your cars. If you could just talk about how important it is to be here as long as you have at the Indianapolis 500. Well, I think what's very important about it, who would ever think I'd still be here and not be six foot underground? But I think that's very important. I've had such dear friends. I've spent most of my life here in Indianapolis. And uh, like Indianapolis is really my second home. I still live in Texas, but I've been here most of my life. And Indianapolis and the town and the race, that's what's made A.J. Foyt. A.J. didn't make the Indianapolis racetrack like a lot of drivers want it. They think they made it. But I'm just glad to be named a bunch of some of the great, great race drivers that won this race. So I'm, I'm just glad to be back. And also, I believe uh, either you or Parnelli Jones are the oldest uh, living Indy 500 winners. Uh, to be able to still be here doing what you love to do, you've got four cars entered in the 150 Indianapolis 500. I mean, this is your life. Just in a lot of ways, how could you see A.J. Foyt not being here? Well, the only way I wouldn't be here if I'm six foot under, and that's probably not going to be too far from now, but... Uh, like I've told my son Larry that's running the team and all that, that the day that I get that I don't know what's going on, make sure I don't come back here and just let people remember me like the last time they saw me. 60 years ago, your first Indy 500 victory was the 50th anniversary of the race. Ray Haroon was there that day. The front stretch was still paved with brick, and you were driving a front-engine roadster. So what was it like back in those days to be able to go out there and, you know, see the man that started it all, won the first Indy 500 in 1911, Ray Haroon. Well, you know, it was great because I know that when I won it, Mr. Holman sent me and him to New York on what's my line. And uh, it was great to meet him. Uh, and like I say, he was a great race driver and I was glad to be amongst him and go up to New York on the show, what's my line. And some people guessed it right off. I guess they recognized me just winning the race, but uh, it was a big thrill. 
And also to have won the last race when the front stretch was still all brick, I mean, that's an honor that has to be a something that you cherish because that was, for the longest time, it was the brickyard for a reason. Well, that's quite true. These boys don't know what it's like when that whole front stretch was brick. Like I always say, if you got fillings that fall out of your teeth. But uh, in the, about halfway through the race, the bricks got awful slick, and they were very rough. But uh, I was glad that I was one of the few that won it in the front engine and also won it in the rear engine car. So it was a great thrill every year I raced here. The battle you had that day with Eddie Sachs, I know that for a while there you didn't know if you had enough fuel in the uh, car during your what would have been your last pit stop. You had to come in one more time for more fuel. I think you thought that you had lost your chance at the race at that point. Well, that's quite true. You know, I felt like I had it won all day, and then all of a sudden I lost it. And when you normally lose something like that, it never comes back. And when he had to stop because of the front tire, he wore it out trying to run me with a light-loaded fuel because Reddy was a hard driver, and a very good driver. And when he come in, I'm back in lead. I said, I can't believe what's happening. I won it, I lost it, and then I won it back. So it, it was the highlights of my life. My highlights of my life was my first year I come here was being able to qualify for this race and much less winning. So that just put my full dream that I always had in my life, that my dream come true. When Al Dean had hired you to drive his car, you showed up a few days before the car got here, and I know that the USAC officials at that time was at Frankie Bain that didn't want it, wasn't going to let you in until the car showed up. Well, that's quite true. I went to sign in. Who are you driving for? I said, I'm climbing for Clint Browner, Dean Van Line. Well, the car's not here, so you're outside the garage until he gets here. They don't do nothing like that nowadays, but they were pretty strict back then, and I spent a week out in my car on the outside of the fence looking in, and no more Clint got here than they signed me in. So it's just a different ball game today. Well, speaking of which, the drivers all have their motor homes that are, you know, pretty lavish, or they stay in nice hotels. It wasn't like that in your day. You slept in the car, and I know that there were a lot of hard nights and sleeping in the back seat or in a station wagon. My first deal was I slept in the back seat of my car, and secondly, uh, I rented a basement in the house for ten dollars a week and had an army cot. And then Mr. Holman and them and June Swingo and Secretary. They kind of gave me a place to live down in Terre Haute, so they were very good to me, and it is something you don't ever forget. So this year you have J.R. Hildebrand driving the number one car to uh, celebrate your 60th anniversary of the 1961 race. The paint scheme looks like the way your car looked in 1961. How cool is that to see that car, and does it really bring back those memories that you had? Well, it really do, and, you know, ABC was our sponsor for about 15 years, then they called Larry and said they wanted to have a car in the 500 with the number one on it, which uh, Chip Ganassi and his people lent me the number one to run here, which is great. And um, they painted it my colors. And my colors weren't that far from theirs. Instead of uh, black, like theirs are red, white, and black, mine's red, white, and blue. So um, that was just really grateful. And... When your sponsors do that for you, what else can you say? They're beautiful people. Now, while all this was going on, you were also dabbling with NASCAR back in the early days, and you won a race, a July race, down at Daytona before you ever won your second Indy 500 in 1964. 
Godzilla, how did you get involved in NASCAR? And who was, I believe you drove for Ray Nichols and later for uh, Banjo Matthews. Well, that's quite true. Ray Nichols was one of the big men with Chrysler and Hemi's were the top cars. And I drove, they put me in a Dodge, and I was the first man to ever win a big race for Dodge Motor Company. And I won the 400 down there, so it's a big thrill. And then Banjo was a big car builder. He used to race himself, and so I drove for him too. The 1964 Indy 500 victory, you were the last driver to win in a front-engine roadster, and I'm sure that's something that is an honor to you because I know you really love those front-engine cars. Well, I did, you know, and everybody says, uh, how did you accept to drive a rear-engine car? I said, it was around, but I don't know. I, I think that's a talent that you're born with. I don't think you, I know a bunch of drivers that tried to drive different cars, just never was very good, but... I think that's something the good Lord gives you, and I can't explain why, but that's the reason I think I could adapt myself, and it was no work for me, and I know a lot of people tried to do it, drive a stock car, midget, or sprint, or indie car. It's just something was natural to me, and like I said, uh, a lot of people I know that I raced with worked hard to try to do it, and they couldn't, and they kept asking me, how do you do it? I said, I didn't work at it. It's just something I think the good Lord gave me. It was also a very somber day because lap two of that race in turn four, Eddie Sachs and Dave McDonald were killed in a fiery accident. It was the first time the race had ever been stopped because of an accident. And I know that your victory lane wasn't really much of a celebration that day. Well, it really wasn't because I knew them both real well. I raced against them, and it was a victory. Don't get me wrong, but like you say, it was a victory. It wasn't happening because when you know somebody, they lose their lives. It's no way you can celebrate. Not me. Maybe some people could. I couldn't. Our friend Parnelli Jones was out here the other day, and I know that brings back uh, memories of a lot of great battles you had with him. He won in 1963. You won in 1964. And it looked like he had the field covered in the STP turbine in 1967 until four laps to go. And then you ended up taking the lead and going on to become a three-time winner. Well, that's quite true, you know. I did not know, but they said that he had spun earlier, but he hadn't made a pit stop yet. And then for him to have mechanical trouble, uh, it was a shame because, like I say, Turbine had pretty big advantage on people. With having a driver like Pernelli Jones had an ability he had, it made it that much worse. <laughs> Ten years later, you became the first four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. That day it was a great battle between you and Gordon Johncock before Gordon dropped out at the end of the race, and there you were once again in position to finally get that fourth victory. And I know at one time you said you almost thought for a second of maybe retiring on top, but you said you wanted to keep going. Well, that's quite true. I felt like in 74, I mean, I'm sorry, 75, 76, I had to pull in to get fuel. Then it rained. They shortened the race. I lost it. Then I said, can I ever win it? And 77 was a great race. And like I say, I, I run out of fuel and I had to make a pit stop. And I got way behind him. And then uh, you could turn the boost up. And then I started catching him pretty fast. And George McNaughty was his chief mechanic. That the first time I won was my chief. And I started catching him almost two seconds a lap. And I got down to 10. I said to myself, McNaughty will let me get within 10 seconds and tell Gordy to go. Well, it went 10, 9, 8, 7, and little Jack, my chief mechanic, have you turned the boost up? 
I said, no. I said, they must be in trouble. And then about two or three laps later, he blew an engine. So I knew Big Naughty wasn't going to let me get in, you know, racing distance with him. You were an owner driver all the way through. You announced your retirement here on pole day in 1993, and then you've strictly been an IndyCar owner since then. Was it a tough transition once you stopped racing as a driver to become a team owner and watch other guys drive your car? Well, it was, to be honest with you, that day there that I quit, we was running quicker than anybody in practice for qualifying day. And everybody thought, sure, we'd win the pole. I come in, I said, I'm through. But Robbie Gordon done wrecked my car for the third time, and I got to thinking, I can't be a driver and have other cars running and worry about them too, so... I better concentrate on one thing, being an owner or a driver. So that's the reason I said I'm through. Nobody could believe it. They said, well, qualify. I said, nope, I'm through. When I said I'm through, I'm get out, and I haven't said one since. And not that I haven't wanted to, but I've had too many friends come back and lose their lives. And I said, when I'm through, I'm through. You got to visit Victory Lane a fifth time with Kenny Breck in 1999 as a team owner, and we all remember how popular he was around here, and I think you he still remains one of your favorite drivers. Yeah, Kenny did a great job for us, and we're still great friends, and like I said, he was a great race driver, and I respected Kenny a, a whole lot. And wrapping up here with A.J. Foyt, the living legend of the Indianapolis 500, who was the toughest racer you ever raced with? Well, to be truthful with you, all of my race was pretty tough, so it would be hard to pick out one certain guy because I raced with a bunch of great, great race drivers, and it was just however I was handling that day or they was. That's what made it hard against a lot of the guys. But it seems like your career paralleled a lot with Mario Andretti, and I know there were a lot of great battles between the two of you. Yes and no. My career, I gave one of the greatest race drivers that he was on his way out was Roger Ward. He was really hard to beat, him and Watson and Wilkie, the three Ws, and they were winning everything. So they were the ones that were really, to me, hard to beat. And looking ahead to the 115 Indianapolis 500, you got to feel pretty good, especially with guys like Sebastian Bourdais, J.R. Hildebrand, Dalton Kellett, some of the other drivers you got driving for you. It's a long race, and like I keep telling them, you got to be here by, at the end of the day if you're going to win this race. And finally, one guy we want to remember, he was able to come out here yesterday for the first time, but he's ailing. He's got trying to come back from some health problems of his own. The guy that used to cause you a thorn or two, Robin Miller, if there's anything you'd like to say about him as he continues to, well, to fight I, his battle yeah, with when cancer. When I first met Robin Miller, we didn't get along, but one thing I can say about Robin, about everything he wrote in the papers was about 99% right. And like I said, Robin now become... Great friends. I know he's been having a big battle with his health, and all I can do is wish him good luck, and he'll probably outlive you and me. He's the Babe Ruth of IndyCar racing, the one and only A.J. Foyt, the living legend, four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. It's always a privilege to interview you and an honor, and thank you for joining us today. Well, I enjoyed it, and thank you very much. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. 
Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or for household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Elio Castronemas is back at the Indianapolis 500, but this is the first time in his 21 Indy 500s that he will not be driving for Team Penske. Castronemas continues to attempt to join Foyt, Al Unser, and Rick Mears as the only drivers who have won the Indy 500 four times in their career. This year, Castroneves is with Meyer Shank Racing in the number six Honda. He will start the race from the middle of row three. Joining us now is three-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver and former Dancing with the Stars champion, Elio Castroneves. Elio, you're back at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but this time it's with a different team. It's not with Team Penske. How different does that feel? Look, it's just certainly uh, it's a different feel. However, I can't thank enough Meyer, Jim Meyer, and Mike uh, Mike Shank for putting this program together. We we feel that we we can uh, grow a lot, and not only that, we feel strong about it because they're giving me all the tools as possible. Great group of guys, Auto Nation Series is on board, so we're really feel strong, and I I can. Can't wait to continue the work that we started yesterday. Of course, you're driving a Honda for Meyer Shank Racing on a part-time limited schedule, which this year will include the 150 Indianapolis 500 and the Music City Grand Prix down in Nashville. How excited are you about that opportunity? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to be back, to be honest. And uh, what a great great way to start the month of May or, or here at Indianapolis Speedway. So we're excited. Uh, and we keep chipping away and um, working together to hopefully to, to get to the top uh, by the end of the week. Drivers have won this race from the, starting in the front of the field. They've won this race starting near the back. Why is it so important to start up front at the Indianapolis 500? Well, the way the cars are um, driven today because of the aerodynamic package, you know, sometimes there is a little bit of a difficult way to carve your, your way all the way to the top. So it's a place that especially this year that they change a little bit of the underwing, it makes it a little more tricky, but uh, it doesn't matter. Such a long race, there is a strategy involved, so anything can happen. It's your first time with Honda since I believe 2011. 
Yeah. What is it like to return with Honda instead of Chevrolet? Yeah, Honda's been doing a phenomenal job. I, um, I actually work with them when the Acura side with HPD, and uh, it's great to be back. Um, it's just like a, a circle. Being so many, so long here in the series that you run with Chevy, you run with Hondas, and uh, so it's great to be back with a group of guys that they did a very strong last year. Hopefully, it continue the same way. There's always that elusive fourth Indy 500 victory out for you. You've been chasing it now since 2010. You won your third in 2009. Do you feel like the window is closing on that? Because you know you don't have that many years probably left in an Indy car. Look, you can predict the future. The only thing I can pred predict is working to, to that present become a future. And right now with the new steam, we have a great opportunity again. Uh, Mike is, is doing everything he can to put the best tools, best effort, best equipment to go out there and make it happen. So I'm not thinking about, oh, I'm running out of time. I'm thinking about what can I make it happen for this year to be the year. What do you think of your young teammate, Jack Harvey? His, I've been telling a lot of people already since uh, last year and obviously beginning this year, going to the races and watching. The guy is, uh, it's, it's an underrated driver. People don't take him very uh, serious, I would call, but his, his start putting his elbows out, I told him, he's showing, you gotta, you, you, you gotta make sure that you are here to stay and I guarantee he's gonna win a race this year and that'll be great. And also there are two drivers that have an excellent chance to join you as three-time Indy 500 winners, Juan Pablo Montoya and Takuma Sato. Right now it seems that Takuma's been pretty hot here the last couple of years. But Juan, in that Aero McLaren package, is going to be pretty good, too. How do you assess their chances at becoming three-time winners? Anybody that comes here have a 50-50 chance, you know? It's a place that the track and that picks who's going to be the winner. So hopefully it's just going to be me. Elio Castroneves, he's always a fan favorite. He's always been a favorite of the show. Thank you for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy. Thanks, Bruce. Another driver who is back is popular Tony Kanaan, the 2013 Indianapolis 500 winner. He has returned to Chip Ganassi Racing and drives the number 48 American Legion Honda, the same entry that Jimmy Johnson drives on the street and road course races on the schedule. Kanaan starts fifth, the middle of row two, in Sunday's Indy 500. Joining us now is an old friend of the show. I believe I can call you that. I've only known you for like 30 years, but uh, it's uh, Tony Kanaan, the 2013 Indianapolis 500 winner, the American Legion driver over here at Chip Ganassi Racing in the number 48. Tony, you've had a pretty good week so far at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway preparing for the 150 Indianapolis 500. How excited are you over the prospects of what you can do here on race day? Well, Bruce, there are many things to be excited about. The first, it's having the fans back. It's something that I expressed my disappointment last year, obviously, for obvious reasons. But also, like you just mentioned, running the American Legion car with the American colors are awesome. I mean, I can't tell you how many veterans we're representing, but also that came to the track the last few days to say how proud they are and introducing themselves. So that's something new for me. Excited to be back, obviously, on a very good team with a chance of, you know, winning this race is always, uh, you know, always something that hypes you up. How much was it like returning home to Chip Ganassi Racing, a team that you had previously driven for? You know, when the phone rang in November and Jimmy gave me the idea, I thought he was crazy or he was joking. But, I mean, 
what can I say? I'm coming back to the best team. I have the best teammates, I have to say. A team that won a championship last year. Uh, Dario as a driving coach. And then I'm sharing a car with a legend that is a friend too. I mean, if you had told me this story exactly the way I told you a few years back, I said, Bruce, just go get treatment because I think you're out of your mind. So it's been awesome. I, it's it's something that I feel very fortunate and I don't take it for granted every day that driving into this track, the opportunity that I got. So it's it's really cool. Well, people tell me that anyway, so you don't have to worry <laughs> about that. But uh, Jimmy uh, Johnson is going to be here throughout the month. You know, part of the team. He's going to be on the NBC broadcast. And how cool is that going to be able to interact with him over some of the nuances that it takes to drive this car fast around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Oval. I mean, it's it's been awesome. We've been actually, since we did this deal together, we've been together shooting things, but we haven't been at the racetrack at the same time, which it's going to happen on Saturday. Uh, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable because he told me yesterday that he's been missing the race car quite a bit. I said I could rent him a go-kart or something because he's not getting in the 48, but... I can tell you that I think Jimmy's gonna be, it's gonna be a wake up call for him as far as, I know the feeling because I've been out of the car last year for you know some of the races. And I think especially at this race, Jimmy's gonna be like, I wanna do this, I wanna do this. And, and knowing him, he's already there talking about it. <laughs> so I said, you can, not, not this year. We can talk about it, but not this year. So. It, it, it's it's awesome to have him around. He's going to be actually working in the broadcast, like you said, but it will be nice to see him in the timing stand, too. This race has been won from the front, it's been won from the middle, and it's been won from the back. But why is it always so important to start near the front here? Well, you stay out of trouble, especially with this generation of cars. You don't, you don't want to run past, like, top five, top six, but... I have to say I won here. We started at 12, but we moved to the front quite quick. Um, but you want to stay in the front just because it's easier, you know, but it's not impossible. I think the, the level of the field this year is unbelievable. Somebody asked me yesterday, can you pick two guys that are going to be bumped? And I, I can't see it right now. It's like we're going to have to be on your toes as far as, you know, the quality of the teams. We had teams had most experienced drivers too with the young guns. So... It, it it's easier to run it at the front because the deep of the depth of the field it's really high so it's harder to pass. And also getting back to the American Legion, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is located across the street from American Legion Post 500. Do you plan on stopping in over there throughout the month and meeting some of the members? Yeah, we have plenty of activities with them. They've been a huge support, and uh, obviously we met a few already. And uh, yes, we we have a lot of things going on. And again, I, I feel so proud that, uh, you know, we're running their colors. They're local. They've been so great to us. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really cool to see a sponsor to engage, but also not just the sponsor, because sometimes the company supports you, but the people that support the company don't. And, and, and it's been unbelievable. So it's, it, it's awesome. I can't name you how many people actually in the past three days approached me and said, I'm so proud you're running this car. I'm, I'm, I'm a member, and, and so this is, this is a great feeling. He's already one of the most popular drivers at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Now his popularity has increased even more with the involvement <laughs> with the American Legion. And Jimmy Johnson. Yes, and Jimmy Johnson, too. Uh, how can we, uh, we must remember Jimmy Johnson. But uh, 
Anyway, Tony Kanan, good luck in the 105th Indianapolis 500, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Ari Leyendijk is a two-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver who is now one of the race stewards for IndyCar. Leyendijk lost his 1990 Indianapolis 500 winner's ring worth $25,000 on Saturday night. The diamond-filled ring is a treasured item from Leyendijk's career, and he spent a frantic Saturday night trying to find the ring at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Leyendijk tells us how the search concluded. So what happened was that the, I was standing behind my car to open up the rear lid, pulled my keys out of my pocket, and I had my ring in my pocket, and it pulled the key, the ring out, but I didn't realize it. I had my earplugs in. And late last night at like 10.30, I was in the hotel, well, half an hour away. I'm like, you know, I need to go check out my parking spot. Went back and there it was. Wow. So, so, so it but I know that you were, I know that you were uh, like pretty nervous. I was pretty upset. Yeah, I mean I have two, but you know this is a special yeah. 1990 ring. Pretty good. Yeah. So, well, I mean anyway, it was your first victory. It was a big drama there for a couple hours. Yeah. Well, I only, I only realized it after I had left the track and I was almost at the restaurant, and I couldn't not go to the restaurant because I had an appointment. Yeah. So all the while at the dinner table, I was. Because I was sitting next to Jason Clark. Yeah, and I tweeted so, all that out. No. Yeah. Anyway, so, it's back. It won't happen again. So <laughs> if, if, if we had found it, was there a reward? There would have been a reward. I don't know what. <laughs> Maybe a dinner at St. Elmo's yeah. or something. <laughs> Two-seater ride. At a good place. Yeah. Not at like Steak and Shake or something. Yeah, yeah. A real place. Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, so, so you're the big winner of the weekend. Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, I've been a big winner a couple of times. Renus. You know, I going know. back to Renus, I mean, I know he's a guy you work with a little bit, and I mean, he's just as good on the oval here as he is on the road. Well, he loved Indy last year, qualified fourth, I think, right? Yeah. So now he made the front row. Yeah. I said, hey, last time the Dutchman was on the front row, he won. Yeah. From third place. That's right. Now, he likes this place. I mean, Ed gave him a good car. Look at Ed and him are seven thousands of a mile an hour apart yeah. over four laps. So. All right, there is something about you. You fit this place, too, your sensibilities and stuff, too. Right? I love I mean, this place always. So. Yeah, well, how would you explain that to people who don't? I mean, it looks like Greenus is the same same way. I think it's the fast, the high speeds. You know, I love fast corners on the road courses as well. Yeah. So. And that uh, Scott Dixon looks like he might amount to something around here. He, yeah, he definitely figured something out. Is this his fourth yeah. ball or fifth ball? I think it's his fourth. Fourth ball, no. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know. Well, he beat me by one. When it, it's it's almost like you can't put pressure on him. He's in per- It just doesn't affect him. No, I mean, he's. That's why they call him the Iceman. Yep. All right, guys. Thanks, right, man. Thanks Thank a lot. You. Glad you found your ring, brother. Juan Pablo Montoya is a two-time Indy 500 winner with victories in 2000 and 2015. He is back at the Indy 500 for the first time since 2017. He will start his Aero McLaren SP Honda from the outside of row eight. Joining us now on the show, it's two-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver Juan Pablo Montoya. You're back at the Indy 500 for the first time since 2017. You're in a pretty fast car. How do you feel your chances are heading into having a chance to win the race? Well, honestly, I've been, you know, very grateful to be with our McLaren SP. I think we got very competitive cars. Um, I mean, it's early. It's kind of early still. We're like halfway through the week. 
Um, I feel we made a lot of gains on the car. I think we're going in the right direction. Are we where I want to be? No. But I think we're in a happy place. We're like, put it this way, if we had to go racing tomorrow, I said we would be pretty decent. And also you're back with McLaren, a team that you enjoyed success with in your Formula One days. How cool is that? And how did that all come together for you to be able to return with McLaren to the Indy 500? Well, funny enough, they've been asking the last couple of years if I, walk, if I could run Indy for them and I wasn't really allowed to come. So, you know, first year I was free from the Penske contract that I was allowed to come was this year. And we made it happen, you know, Zach made it happen and with Sam and everybody in the team. Uh, so it's, it's good, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm pretty happy. And also your car is pretty cool. It's a uh, number 67. It's the, the paint scheme is reminiscent of Peter Revson's 1971 Indy 500 pole run, which was one of the more dramatic ones in Indy 500 history. To be able to have that paint scheme and for what it means, how cool is that for you? I think the whole thing behind the, our program is pretty cool. You know, an old McLaren driver, an old McLaren paint scheme. Uh, being at Indy, you know, that I've won it twice. Everything about it is, is pretty cool. And, you know, being here with a shot at uh, a possible winning it again, I think it's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people with a shot at winning, but, you know, all you can ask for is having a shot at it. So, you know, hopefully we can make the car a little better. And if we do, we'll be pretty good. I heard you say the other day that when you returned to Indy, you wanted to come in a car that could win the race. So you got to really feel like this is that type of car. How close did you come to returning in those years between uh, 2017 and this year? Uh, not at all. Like, I wasn't allowed to race here. <laughs> I really wasn't. I'm not kidding. Ask Roger, he'll tell you. <laughs> Do you care to elaborate on that? No. Oh, no, okay. honestly. Yeah. We, we did ask if I could run for somebody else a couple of times, and the answer was always no. But now that you are here, how cool is it? Because I know that but it would be really nice to kick his ass, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love him to that, but of course I want to beat him. Well, especially when his name will be on the bottom of the check that goes to the winner. You gotta, <laughs> You would really probably like to collect some of Roger's money on May 30th. Uh, as far as going into the race with this engine package and car combination, how difficult is it going to be to pass? Uh, it looks really difficult in practice. Uh, it's just a matter of being consistent through the runs. The more consistent you are, the, the better you're going to be at the end of the runs when you can pass a little easier. So we'll see. How far back in line can uh, a driver have a legitimate chance of getting to the front? It's a long race. You know, there's a lot of strategy, a lot of things you can do to make yourself a little more competitive, a little smarter. So we'll see. You also brought up an interesting point the other day when I asked you in the regular press conference why it's so important to start near the front here because the race has been won from deep in the pack and you said because of the aero screen it really changes the aerodynamics yeah everybody puts a lot more effort in qualifying right now and and uh, they know that it's really important but you know we have what we have and we'll do our best we'll go out there run as fast as we can run and hopefully you get a good draw and, and that's it you know uh, honestly uh, you can have the fastest car and then the last pit stop is slow and then you don't win the race. So you can have an average car and and everything go your way and, and you win the freaking race. So it's pretty open. And you're here to win and your next win here would be, would make you a three-time Indy 500 winner. So to join that select group of drivers 
How important would that be in your career? I think it'd be really nice just to win it. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, winning two, three, four, whatever the number is, you always come out here trying to win, and and I feel we have really competitive cars to do so this year. Two-time Indianapolis 500 winning driver Juan Pablo Montoya of Aero McLaren SP. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Connor Daly is flying the colors of the United States Air Force in Sunday's race, and the number 47 Ed Carpenter Racing Chevrolet honors the famed Tuskegee Airman. He starts inside row seven. Joining us now is Connor Daly, who will be flying the U.S. Air Force colors in the 105th Indianapolis 500. You're starting 19th. Man, I'm telling you what, that's a great looking paint scheme on that car. So how proud are you to be representing the U.S. Air Force on Memorial Day? Oh, well, as usual, it's just the, the greatest honor of all. I think it's an incredible, incredible last four years we've had together. Um, this, this scheme is obviously dedicated to the Red Tails, an incredible group of people, uh, incredible group of heroes. And uh, the car looks awesome and the car is really fast. Uh, we, we, we missed it for sure in qualifying. That was, uh, you know, it was a bit of a bummer to miss out on the fast nine with our teammates, but um, we've never been... We've never been lower than fifth all week long. And, uh, you know, we've spent two, three days in a row of practice now in the top three. So uh, we have a really, really fast race car and uh, we're ready for the race. You're starting from mid-pack, but a lot of people will tell you that you can win from anywhere on the grid in the Indy 500. But it should be a little difficult to pass. So what do you see as being your strategy to move up through the field during the uh, early part of the race? It's a great question. It's really, really difficult to pass. Sadly, the, the new aerodynamics haven't really um, you know, it's been good to get us a little bit closer, but still everyone's got the same thing. So it's really, really difficult to pass. But uh, but we're going to try our car drafts really, really, really well. So we're going to try to, you know, maybe stop early or go late, uh, get some clear track and try to, you know, overtake some people via strategy. But uh, I think towards the end of our tire stints as well, we're going to be in better shape than others. It is the fastest field in 500 history. The average is field average is over. 230 miles an hour. It's probably also the tightest field in 500 history. When you think of that, does it make this year's race that much more of a struggle in the fact that the field is just so tight? I mean, it's always tough here, but yeah, I mean, everyone's good. So uh, we're, we're gonna be fighting uh, fighting the same fight everyone else is. We just hope that you're just a hair better than, than most. And when you look at the performance and qualifications that owner driver Ed Carpenter had and your teammate Renus VK, I know uh, you said it was a bummer that you weren't able to be up there with them in the Fast 9, but you know that you've got a team that can win this race. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we had great pit stops today, uh, and then our car again. You know, we're, we're really, really fast in race trim. So uh, we've got a little bit harder of a work day in front of us than Renus and Ed, but uh, we'll get to them uh, by about halfway through, let's hope. This track means a lot to you. It's, it's almost your home in many ways. Uh, when you think of the family connections to this place, what it means to Connor Daly, how do you describe what race day means to you? I mean, it's the greatest day of the year, uh, and it's an incredible experience. I mean, great to see fans back out here as well. It's such a such an awesome um, sound to hear them cheering on and qualifying. It was it was so cool to see today. So uh, it's special. It always is. It'll never get old. And um, you know, I'm just happy to be back. Not only are the fans back, but throughout the uh, week of practice and on qualification weekend, seemed like a pretty large crowd was here both Saturday and Sunday, and. How cool is that? Because nobody got to come here at all last year. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, uh, we you know, wish we could have more, but uh, you know, the, the, the fact that we've 
had such a strong qualifying crowd, I think is 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 an awesome sign for race day next weekend. Um, so we'll see what happens. I uh, I love what I love to see the people again. Love to see the fans and love to interact with them. Connor Daly, driver of the number 47 U.S. Air Force Chevrolet for Ed Carpenter Racing. Thank you for joining us and good luck in the 150 Indianapolis 500. Thanks, man. Popular driver James Hinchcliffe starts inside row six in the number 26 Genesis Honda for Andretti Autosport. He is one of six entries for Andretti Autosport. Throw in two more of the technical alliance with Meyer Shank Racing, and that makes for a crowded room in the engineering department. Joining us now is an old friend, James Hinchcliffe. He's back with Andretti Autosport at the Indianapolis 500, and I know it's been some good times and some struggles here this week. Uh, how would you assess how things have gone at the Speedway? Oh, C plus. <laughs> it's yeah, it's been a bit of a bit of a struggle for us. I mean, as a team, we're a little bit off where we want to be, and then uh, on the 29 cars specifically, we're, we're having some issues. We're trying to work around. Uh, you know, we got some things we're going to try today. Try to find a little bit more speed in our car. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely been a little bit trickier with some of these new aero bits that uh, the series added. With the car configuration the way it is. Is it that much more important to start up front in the race? Honestly, no. I think what we did with the as a series with the new barge boards and the, the, the difference in the floor was to actually make the racing a little bit better, a little bit closer. Um, it's made maybe finding the perfect setup a little trickier, but uh, but you know we've got we've got enough practice time to try to sort that out. So hopefully it'll it'll mean that we can find a good place and you know be in a good spot for the race. The Andretti Armada has grown by a few more cars. There's six out of Andretti Autosport alone, and then you throw in the two partner cars at Meyer Shank Racing. That's eight cars. So. I can only imagine those engineering debriefs must be interminably long. Well, I mean, luckily they, uh, they've they got garage hours here, so we're kicked out by 8 o'clock no matter what. But the joke was that we were going to have the Jeopardy theme song playing, and each guy only got to talk for the length of the song, and then it was on to the next car. There's eight cars, and there's a lot of data to go over, and everybody wants the good stuff, the fast stuff, and everything. How do you keep everything organized with that many cars? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge, you know, but Andretti Autosport has been running big, uh, big programs for a long time, so uh, luckily they've got a pretty good system uh, there's kind of two different setup camps happening and so you gravitate towards the guys that are more in your camp and uh and then that, that kind of cuts down the number of cars you have to look at data wise a little bit but no i think we've got experience doing it and so it's going okay so far you've had the best of times and some bad times at this place when you come to the speedway what do you reflect on i mean just i think every time you come here it's still that same feeling of, of awe and you just uh, admiration of the history of this place and uh the allure of this place and every time you come here you forget whatever you've done in the past or whatever's happened to you in the past because it's you know you start from scratch every time and also going by the genesis headquarters on the way down i-465 i see they've got the go hinge banners back out how cool is that for you to see whenever you go by there to see that kind of support from your sponsor it's great you know they've got that they've got billboards up around town and uh it's awesome to see genesis jump in the way that they have and uh and honestly really kind of i think set the bar in terms of uh sponsors for this month on the way they're activating and promoting it so for me it's just awesome it's a great feeling to know that they're behind us 100 percent and we just want to go put on a good race for them james hinchcliffe one of the most popular drivers at the uh, indianapolis motor speedway the mayor hinchtown thank you for joining us today thanks very much Roger Penske is the winningest team owner in Indianapolis 500 history with 18 victories. 
He purchased the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the Indy 500, and IndyCar from the Holman George family, which owned and operated the facility for 74 years prior to Penske's purchase on November 4, 2019. We caught up with Penske after two of his entries, including Will Power and the extra Penske car that Beth Peretta Autosport is using for female driver Simona Di Silvestro, officially made the race during the last chance shootout. Was it a stressful night for you, knowing that not only Will was out, yeah, so was Simona? Every night's stressful for me. <laughs> But no. I mean, that one was kind of unexpected. In some well, way. it is what it is. And, uh, you know, I said we were here in 95 and had a similar situation. But when you looked at the chances and where we were and after, I think I felt a lot better after I saw us run this morning. And I think that was key because we finally got a balance of the car that, that she was comfortable with. And we saw her time yesterday was consistent, even though it wasn't fast. She had the wrong, wrong gears in it. But, uh, no, hey, it's over. Let's work on the race. Right, that's right. How about when he kissed the wall over in turn two? Was that a concern to you? Well, I didn't know if that was going to kill the run. Obviously, it hurt the yeah. speed, but uh, he never lifted. And that's what it's all about. You can't lift. Well, we're going to have to have some luck. We're going to have to have real good strategy. We're going to have to really work hard to get up to be able to run you never know. It's going to be warm. It's going to be slippery. So we'll see. Well, I'm not. You can tell. You know, Montoya won this race from the back, so it's not. Getting in the race is the first thing we had to do, and I think we were in good shape there now as we finished today. And the, I think the format is great. I think the fact that they could go back out, uh, the way the the fans reacted uh, for Simona you know, to have a woman in this race is one of my really number one goals. You know, after last year when we didn't have the race. So that's one thing that I'd say that uh, I couldn't feel better about. From a promoter's side, the fan response here so far this week's been fairly impressive. Turn one looks pretty good down there with spectators. You know, how do you feel about the return to spectators, you know, and the way they've embraced this? Well, I think if you look at the numbers, uh, this is the best. Yesterday was the best Saturday we've had you know, since 2016. So in a, in a world that's uh, upside down with COVID, I'd say we made some great progress. Bud Danker is the president of Penske Corporation and one of Roger Penske's most trusted business partners. Danker is also the promoter of the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix, which follows the Indianapolis 500 and will run from June 10 to 13. Danker talked to us about the success of qualification weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and what to expect when the series battle resumes at Detroit's Belle Isle in two weeks. Joining us now is Penske Corporation President Bud Danker. Bud, it was a very dramatic weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Really the first weekend you were able to see how the new ownership group works with spectators and with some of the bells and whistles that we were denied last August, but how would you assess the way the weekend went, qualifying weekend for the 105th Indianapolis 500? Well, I think you've got to measure it in several things uh, that are measurable. Uh, first of all, the number of fans we had. Um, our numbers showed uh, as of the end of the day today on a Sunday afternoon at the biggest crowd for the weekend that we've had since 2016. So it shows the fans want to come back. This post shows the fans uh, have been pent up for quite a while and they want to get back to the speedway. We saw it today. We weren't really sure. 
And uh, but the walk-up traffic, the traffic throughout the whole weekend was great. And now we're obviously getting prepared for 135,000 fans seven days away. The 105th Indianapolis 500 coming up. I'm sure you'd like to have a lot more than 135,000 fans. Perhaps if Marion County had relaxed the mask requirement, maybe some of the restrictions, you could have sold more tickets. How big a disappointment was that when they announced that it would be done on June 7th rather than prior to the race? Well, we worked with the, the mayor and the municipalities and Dr. Kane and Dr. Box and all the folks from uh, the, the state as well. and. Um, you know, we're happy that the, they allowed us to not have to do the temperature checks, which was a, a positive move. And, you know, we are where we are now. And uh, would we like to have uh, no mask next weekend? And sure we would, but um, we are where we are with the mayor and the team right now. And we're now going to prepare for a, an amazing event uh, next week, an event that the fans want to come to, uh, an event that probably more fans would come to as well. But, you know, we worked it out with the mayor and we, we agreed to what we have today. And that's where we are. Not only are you the president of the Penske Corporation, but you're also the track promoter of Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix. It was announced earlier this week that you'll be able to have fans back for that race, yeah. more fans. How important is that? Well, it's, it's really important for our, our city, um, for our state. This will be the largest event that our state's had. Yeah. Even though we may have only 7,000 or 8,000 fans there next week, or two weeks for the Grand Prix in Detroit, uh, it'd be the largest gathering of fans we've seen in many things other than the ballpark at uh, Comerica Park. The fact also is we don't have that mask now. No mask required, no social distancing required. So you'll see the paddock open. For the first time, we'll see a paddock open in IndyCar at the Detroit event. We'll see our, our, our teams not having to wear masks. We'll see our fans not having to wear masks. That is a big plus plus for us. So we hope to have seven to 10,000 people a day there in total, including our crews put on a great event, a safe event, and uh, showcase Detroit and showcase Belle Isle. But don't you also have a very good turnout in terms of suites and chalets that are already sold to the corporate community uh, and sponsors around Detroit? We do. Our chalets and our corporate sponsors really pay for our event. Uh, they're sold out. Our tickets for our fans go on sale tomorrow. This is be Monday uh, for the grandstands. We've got another 5,000 tickets to sell each day and uh, hope to do that in a matter of hours or a matter of a day. Uh, but yeah, our corporate partners turned out in force, and uh, once again, no surprise. We have great, great people, great businesses that that support us, support us all the time, and uh, uh, we're very happy about that. From a Indianapolis Motor Speedway standpoint, from an IndyCar standpoint, seems like the opening week for the Indy 500 was a great success. A lot of happy fans here. Not only did you have a lot of fans here, but they all seem to be happy, just yeah. loving the fact that they were back. I guess on the flip side, though, you probably expected a little bit better effort from Team Penske in terms of qualifying. <laughs> yeah, there was, uh, as I said today, it was great theater, great theater for our fans, great theater for everybody watching around the world. But it's a movie that Team Penske didn't want to be in, yeah. and uh, and I'm sure uh, hey, they got they got they, they're in, Will's in, Simona's in. That was surprised everybody for sure um, how it took us this weekend. But um, our cars showed today, their cars showed today. And the uh, and race trim there was still pretty darn good, and uh, it'll be a great race next week. We saw today in the last practice more passing. We probably saw the entire race last year at the Indianapolis 500. So we're happy with the changes we've made as a series. Jay and his team did a great job with that. Jay Fry. Um, we're gonna have exciting racing, and we're ready to go. And from another positive standpoint, your team Penske's best qualifier is a rookie, Scott McLaughlin. He'll be starting 17th. Obviously, you wanted to be fighting for the pole, but 
it shows that this kid's picking this stuff up pretty quickly. Yeah, well, we're having a second place finishing at Texas, Scott's a, a special driver. We knew that in Australia when with this V8 supercars, three championships over there for us. And now he's it's showing how special he is on the racetrack over here too. To, to be here for the first time, as nervous as he was, as anticipated as he was to come here, um, I think he did a great job once again for our team. And what can fans expect to see as they return to the Indianapolis 500 for the first time under Penske Corporation, Penske Entertainment leadership? Well, everything we've been spending our $20 million on so far is fan experience. All the big screen TVs, the screens under the, uh, under the awnings of all the grandstands in the front stretch, the screens on the outside to watch what's going on around you. The, obviously, the very clean, painted, uh, updated restrooms that have got so many comments from people around. So everything we spent our money on, some $20 million plus, is on the fan experience. I think when they get here, they're going to see it because I heard from fans over the course of the weekend how much they appreciated it. And from the business community, a lot of involvement now. You do a lot of B2B uh, relationships, business to business. Also, there's TV contract coming up that needs to be uh, uh, sewn up. So how involved are you on that? I know you're working with Mark Miles on some of those things. And what can you tell some of our fans where some of that stuff stands at the moment? Yeah, well, we hope to hope to have more information on the TV contract over the next uh, month, I'd say four to six weeks. Uh, Mark's, as you said, and, and Michael Montreux are working on that piece, uh, keeping us updated all along. Uh, we just yesterday renewed NTT for another two years for the series sponsorship, which is huge. But the other thing about the Speedway here is every one of our suites, Every one of these suites here, there's hundreds of suites here, are sold out for next week, and that's pretty special. I know that there's also a, a lot of anticipation. The Indy 500 for a lot of us is our favorite day of the year, and it's, it's our Christmas in, yes. in many ways. And what's it mean to, to you and to Roger Penske? Well, as I often say, this is his holy grail. Um, what else could you have ever given Roger Penske than this gift here at the Speedway and the series? And uh, uh, to go with him up to Al at Gasoline Alley when qualifying was ended and drive through there and see all the people just saying thank you, Roger, was, was the appreciation that I like about it. Um, you know, I'm grateful for him. I'm grateful for what he's done here. Um, but I'm also grateful for the fact that we have the opportunity now to run this unbelievable place in the series and to make it better. So. Penske Corporation President Bud Danker, thank you for joining us today. And good luck in next week's 105th Indianapolis 500. Thanks, Bruce. All the best. We wrap up today's show with young Colton Herta, the 21-year-old driver that was on the pole until Scott Dixon was the last driver to make a qualification attempt on Sunday. Herta's number 26 Gainbridge Honda starts in the middle of row one after he ran a four-lap average of 231.655 miles per hour. Dixon's speed was just .030 better than Herta's. Over a 10-mile run, the margin was six feet. Colton, you almost had it there. Uh, you know, if it had been for Scott, you'd be on the pole, but what a qualifying run for you. Yeah, um, yeah, so close. So disappointing in, in some ways, but happy to even have the chance to, to go for the pole, so. Um, Gamebridge car was fast, just, just not quite fast enough uh, to, knock, to knock those Ganassi guys, uh, which is so frustrating. But we got a really good race car. It's more important that, that we get that in check and, and continue to work on it. Um, and so we're, we'll be good. Yeah, should be good for the race. But yeah, and I like the new format of qualifying, how they have the, the fast nine and how you can qualify in that way. Um, 
it kind of puts the pressure on you to do one one clean run uh, after you've done so many the day before. So, yeah, it was exciting. Uh, a little disappointing for me, but, but it, was, it was exciting, and I was happy to even have the chance to qualify today. So. Is that some of the most thrilling two-and-a-half minutes you ever have at a race car? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're really on the limit there, and, and you don't know what's going to happen with the car, so it's always nice when you can, when you can hop out of it and you still have all four corners on it after, after qualifying the last nine. And strategically, that position for the Indy 500? I don't think it matters. It's a 500-mile race. You can win from last, you can win from first. It's, qualifying, I think, is pretty irrelevant. And that puts a checkered flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today, including Indianapolis 500 pole winner Scott Dixon, his engineer Michael Cannon, four-time Indianapolis 500 winner and racing legend A.J. Foyt, Elio Castroneves, Tony Canon, Juan Pablo Montoya, Ari Leyendijk, Connor Daly, James Hinchcliffe, Roger Penske, Bud Danker, and Colton Herta for joining us on today's episode of Pit Pass Indy. Along with loyal listeners like you, they help make Pit Pass Indy your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. Special thanks to the Singing Hoosiers of Indiana University and the 1961 recording of The 500 that we are using to open and close our special Indianapolis 500 preview edition of Pit Pass Indy. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin, and final mixing was done by Dave Douglas.